Well, we have been uh, on this journey uh, through the book of Ephesians and through this kindred journey, uh, three churches, uh, University Presbyterian Church, uh, Evangelical Chinese Church, and Damascus International Fellowship. Uh, we have been on this journey together, and we have been uh, joining one another in small groups, uh, studying the Word of God, but most importantly, building relationships uh, cross-culturally, and getting to know one another. Uh, we have also been engaged in forums. We, we, we've talked about uh, various issues that are prevalent in our society as it relates to race relationships. And uh, just the church has become a better church because of these discussions and, and that we have had uh, and these relationships that we are building. And, uh, and we've been going through this book of Ephesians. We're, we're trying to make what Paul has stated in Ephesians a reality in the church in the 21st century. That if indeed Christ has broken down that wall of partition between Jew and Gentile, then the church should act like it. We should behave like it. Uh, that uh, the most segregated hour uh, should not be Sunday morning. It should be the most integrated hour if we believe that Jesus broke down that wall, that middle barrier that separated us. And so we've been working through the book of Ephesians. Today we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 4, uh, verses 1 through 16. Now there's 16 verses, so I'm not, I'm going to have to, I'm going to, have to cut across the field and amen somebody. And, and really focus on uh, primarily about three verses uh, on Ephesians. And uh, I'm going to read the passage. I'm going to ask that you stand and you can follow along with me in your Bible. And, uh, but I will read it for the sake of time and brevity. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 16 reads as follows. I therefore, the prisoner in the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. But each of us was given grace according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it is said, when he ascended on high, he made captivity itself a captive. He gave gifts to his people. When it says he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is the same one who ascended far above all the heavens so that he might feel all things. The gifts he gave were that some would be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until all of us come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to maturity, to the measure of the full stature of Christ. We must no longer be children tossed to and fro and blown about by every wind of doctrine, by people's trickery, by the craftiness in deceitful scheming. 
But speaking the truth in love, we must grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by every ligament with which it is equipped, as each part is working properly, promotes the body's growth in building itself up in love. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Speaking the truth in love. Speaking the truth in love. How, how do we speak the truth in love? And what's uh, the premise from which we speak this truth in love? In a uh, thought-provoking book written by Linda Riley entitled, A Call to Love, Unleashing the Power to Love God and Others in Your Everyday Life. She writes, one of the marks of true Christian maturity is not that Christians know more or accomplish more. It is that they love more. I couldn't agree with the author more. Uh, the greatest sin in the church today is our failure to love God and to love one another. Uh, God is not as concerned about us knowing more as he is about us loving more. He is not as concerned about us doing more as he is about us loving one another in an authentic and tangible way. After all, that's what Jesus said, that, that, that they will really know that we are Christians by the testimony of our love toward one another. So the question comes today as we look at Ephesians, what unites us as Christians? Who, who keeps us together? What does it look like to be a mature Christian? I'm glad you asked that question. We're going to try to answer that. Because I think at the end of the day, God wants us to live out uh, this love ethic that God is calling us to, to through, through Jesus Christ. Uh, when we think about the book of Ephesians and Paul's letter to uh, the church in Ephesus, uh, the first three chapters, Paul talks about the blessings that we have in heavenly places that God has made a deposit within us and that we have all that we need to live the Christian life. And so in the first three chapters of Ephesians, Paul talks about our orthodoxy, what we believe, that we should be, believe rightly. And then in, verse, in chapters 4 through 6, Paul talks about how we behave as Christians, our orthopraxy. Uh, how do we live out in tangible ways what Paul stated, what we believe in chapters 1 through 3? And so there must be a congruence between our orthodoxy and our orthopraxy uh, that God wants us not only to be heavenly minded, but he wants us to be some earthly good. And so this is what Paul is saying to the Christians of his day, and this is what he's saying to us. But there's another lens that I would like for us to look at this passage through. Uh, there are some major themes in Ephesians chapter 4, uh, but due to, to the time, we won't have time to deal with all of those themes. And one theme is, is the theme of grace. 
you will, you will find that Paul uh, really reiterates how important grace is for Christian unity and how important grace is for Christian services, that we're all recipients of God's grace, and that in a real sense, grace runs through the veins of the body of the church, and it makes the church function properly when we appropriate the grace of God. But then there's another theme where he talks about unity, uh, that unity uh, is something that happens naturally when we are rightly related to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And that true unity is an expression of the triune Godhead when we live out as a church our vertical relationship with God, but also our horizontal relationship with one another. But then I want us to look at this other theme, this theme of love. This theme of love, the word love is mentioned 15 times in Ephesians. Uh, and anytime Paul mentions something that much, it behooves us as Christians that we uh, focus on uh, that particular word that Paul is using. And even here in chapter 4, Paul uses the word love three times. Look at what he says here in verse 2. Well, let's go to verse 1. He says, I therefore, the prisoner in the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. And then in verse 15, he says, but speaking the truth in love, we must grow up in every way unto him, into him who is the head into Christ. And then in verse 16, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by every ligament with which, with which it is equipped as each part is working properly, promotes the body's growth in building itself up in love. Each time Paul uses the word, the phrase, in love, in love, as if to say that love is the foundational principle by which we as Christians uh, operate and live out our lives. And I would submit to you today that Paul is calling us to live a love-saturated life. Uh, that anytime Paul mentions something like that 15 times, that that's something that we need to get into our spiritual system and, and let it saturate in us so that we can live out the true expression of what Paul is implying in this particular passage of Scripture. But also, I want us to look at this verse 2. I want us to look at verse 2 because Paul seems to be saying here that what one writer has called the four graces of Christian unity. The four graces of Christian unity. Uh, he says, he says, humility, gentleness, and patience, and love. Uh, these, are, these are considered four graces or for virtues, and these, uh, these graces, that these behaviors, that if, if they are organic in our lives, uh, we, don't have to, uh, we don't have to put them on like it's like some, some kind of cosmetic sense, uh, that God wants us to live this out from an organic uh, foundational principle, uh, that you really can't put on humility, humility cosmetically. 
You cannot fake humility. Uh, uh, it, 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 as soon as you say, I'm humble, you've done it, you've done it cosmetically. <laughs> and and you, you, you cannot put on uh, patience and gentleness cosmetically. It has to come from the inside out, and it has to come by virtue of a vibrant and vital relationship with Jesus Christ. And certainly you cannot put on love cosmetically. You cannot fake love. Uh, love, true love, the love that Paul is referring to here, that, that agape love, is an unconditional love. It's a commitment, not a feeling. Uh, and that's something that we, we have to get into our system, that love is not a feeling, it's a Commitment, and Paul is speaking here in the imperative that we as Christians are called to be humble, we are called to be gentle, we're called to live with patience, and all of these graces are relational. They're relational. It, 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 Paul is implying here that in order for the church to be what it ought to be, that the more people that you have practicing humility within the church practicing gentleness, practicing patience, and practicing love, the church becomes fully functional and healthy, and people are paying attention to one another. Amen? Amen. Amen. So, look, look at what Paul says here uh, when, he, when he uses these four graces of Christian unity. Humility literally means lowliness of mind, which is contrasted with being high-minded or condescending. Paul is saying that uh, this concept of humility, this grace of humility is a necessary uh, part of Christian maturity and Christian unity. Uh, that during Paul's day in the Greco-Roman world, uh, humility was not something that people aspired to be, aspired to practice. Uh, that in the Greco-Roman world, the leaders of their day said, no, humility is something servants practice, not leaders, not kings, not emperors, but it's something that servants practice. And Paul says to us as Christians today that humility is something that we must aspire to. Just like in, Ephes in Philippians chapter 2, where Paul talks about Christ emptying himself and became a servant. And, and it implies that Christ became humbled. He emptied himself and became a servant, even though in his deity he, he had every right to practice his deity and acknowledge the fact that he was the Son of God. And so just like Christ, God wants us to be humble, a lowliness of mind. And then humility is also always associated with gentleness, that we are called as Christians, as a Christian community, to be gentle with one another because we're all a work in progress. We all have a yellow tape around us that says caution <laughs> under construction. And so all of us are a work in progress, so it behooves us that we are patient with one another. We are patient with one another because God is building you. God is constructing you. God is chiseling you and carving you into the image of Jesus Christ. And so who am I to tear down what God is building up? 
Who are you to tear down what God is building up in somebody's life? God says, I want you to be co-workers with me in building that brother who's sitting next to you, building him up. I want you to be a co-worker with me in building that sister up who is sitting next to you. I want you to help me to build encouragement into that brother or sister in Christ. Amen? Amen. Amen. But then, then there's this, this concept of of patience. Uh, patience literally means long temper, a long temper in contrast to being short-tempered. And we, 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 we've got to be patient with one another. Just as Christ is patient with us, God wants us to be patient with one another, to be long-tempered. In order for the church to be what it ought to be, uh, we've got to be willing to put up sometimes with our moody ways and with our idiosyncrasies. And with, uh, sometimes we don't always want to speak to someone. We don't always want to greet someone. And, and we've got to be patient with one another and begin to understand that we're all a work in progress. And then the word love, this word love. Paul is really saying that, th that this word love is a foundational word. word. It, it's the, it's it's the virtue out of which all other virtues emerge. That humility, gentleness, and patience emerge from love. And I like the way Ernest Best put it in his commentary. He says, instead of saying bearing with one another in love, he says paying attention to one another in love. What a beautiful expression that because that's really what true love is. True love says, I'm going to pay attention to you. That I value your words, I value your presence in my life so much that I'm going to pay attention to you. Isn't that what Jesus did? When you watch Jesus walking the dusty roads to Jerusalem, every human being he came into contact with, he paid attention to them. He valued their humanity. He valued who they, who they were, whether they were Jewish or Gentile. Jesus met a woman at the well who no one else was paying attention to, but Jesus said, I got to meet this woman at the well, and I've got to pay attention to her. And brothers and sisters, God wants us to pay attention to one another because that's when people really realize that you value them. You value that. And I must admit, I must admit in my own life, in my own marriage, there have been times I haven't paid attention to my wife, what she was saying. Amen, Amen brothers. <laughs> and always, she, she, she often says, you're not listening to me. And the expression is, honey, I am listening to you. Well, what did I say? <laughs> Amen, sisters. Paying attention means that, we, that all eyes are on the person who's speaking. That paying attention and love means that you value that person, that they are precious not only in your sight, but they are precious in God's sight. Amen? Amen. Paul says in Colossians 3.14, he says, And over all these virtues, put on love, which bonds them together, all together, in perfect unity. Put on love. And so, Paul, for Paul to say that in the imperative implies that love 
is a commitment that I'm committed to loving you. Love in, in the church and in, in Christian circles as Christians, we should never throw in the towel on one another. God wants us to pick up the towel, not throw in the towel. And, and so we should never give up on one another because we're all a work in progress. And if it is true that we're going to spend e eternity together, then we got to learn how to get together right now down here. Amen? And then Paul also talks about love in verse 15. Look at what he says here in verse 15. But speaking the truth in love. Uh, we must grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. Prior to verse 15, he, he uses the analogy of, of a child. We must no longer be children tossed to and fro and blown about by every wind of doctrine, by people's trickery, by the, their craftiness in deceitful scheming. Paul is, is, is emphasizing that, that there can be no true unity, there can be no true unity or no true maturity without contextualizing this love that he's talking about, that he's talking about. In Ephesians 3.17, he says that we are rooted and grounded in love. As if to say that love is that, that foundational uh, virtue by which we live out our Christian lives. And I might even add, add this as a caveat that there can be no great commission without the great commandment. That there must be an appropriation of loving God, our Father, loving him with our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and loving our neighbor as we love ourselves before we can disciple and make disciples of all nations. There must be an appropriation or relationship between the great commandment and the great commission. But also Paul is saying here that maturity that love is, is a necessary part of growing up as Christians and growing up as a Christian community. Uh, that we, we must love one another. We must be patient with one another. We must practice humility. That there, there must be a true expression of love in our behavior, in our ethics. It's kind of like the, the story of a husband and wife who in, got into a heated argument and it, and it came to a head, and, and the wife said, you know what, what we need to do? We need to write down a list of what we don't like about one another. And so the wife gave the husband a sheet of paper and a pencil, and she pulled out a sheet of paper and a pencil, and the wife began to write down uh, line by line what she didn't like about her husband. And then the husband began to write down line by line what he didn't like about his wife. And... The wife had finished the first page, and she turned it over. She was finished. <laughs> and the husband kept on writing. He finished the first page. He turned it over and started writing on the back page and kept writing and kept writing. By that time, the wife started looking at the husband and, and began to get angry, began to get indignant, and began to, tears began to come down her eyes. And she, she was wondering, what could he be writing that he would have to write the first page the front page and the back page. And by the time he had finished, he turned his paper over and they exchanged 
papers with one another, and the wife began to read what the husband had written, and he said that I, I may not agree with you, but I love you. I'm mad at you right now, but I love you. And every line that he wrote down, he said, but I love you. And brothers and sisters, isn't that what God did for us one day? That while we were yet sinners, Christ said, you're a sinner, but I love you. I created in your image and you, you failed, but I love you. You may not get up in the morning and thank me for waking you up in the morning, but I love you. I continue to put clothes on your back and food on your table and a roof over your head, and, and you never thank me, but I love you. And that's what God does for us every day. He shares his love with us unconditionally. And wouldn't the church, wouldn't the church be a better place if we covered one another in love, that love covers a multitude of sins, that we may disagree with one another, but we love one another. And, and brothers and sisters, this is what the spirit of this text is telling us. Paul says, speak the truth in love. Speak the truth in love. Now, this word truth, uh, the way Paul is using it, it seems as if he's saying, speak the gospel in love. That the gospel is so vast uh, that love is in there. That the gospel is, is, so, is, is such a repository of wisdom that love is in there, grace is in there, peace is in there, justification is in there, righteousness is in, is in there. Everything that we need uh, is in that body of the truth that we call the gospel of Jesus Christ. So Paul says, speak the truth in love. In other words, Paul says, don't beat people over the head with the Bible. Uh, don't, don't, don't be a scripture quoter and not a people lover. In other words, we have a tendency to love things and use people. And God says, I want you to turn that around. I want you to love people and use things. And we live in a society, a society today that loves to use people and love things. And God wants us as a church to turn that around and show the world what it really looks like to love people and use things. Amen? Amen. Then Paul uses this great metaphor of the body of Christ, and he goes into detail. He says, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by every ligament with which it is equipped as each part is working properly promotes the body's growth in building itself up in love. In other words, Paul is saying that love must run through every ligament of the body of Christ, that love must run through the vein of the body of Christ, and that when love flows through our spiritual system as a church and as Christians and as a community of faith, that the church becomes a visible expression of a mature Christian. It becomes a visible expression of Christ when we live out in tangible ways what it looks like to love one another. And the question, you know, the question that we must ask ourselves many times, brothers and sisters, when we're engaged in uh, confusion, disagreements, the question is not what's the right thing to do, but the question is what's the loving thing to do? Because if we do the loving thing, the right thing, 
is obvious. And so that's what, what we have to do as brothers and sisters in Christ. Ask ourselves the question, what is the loving thing to do? Isn't that what Christ did 2,000 years ago? The loving thing to do. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for Jesus Christ. We thank you for the fact that he taught us how to authentically love one another. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to live out in tangible ways with bearing one another in love and paying attention to one another in love, but also speaking the truth in love that we may grow up into the mature body of Jesus Christ. Lord, we love you. We adore you. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.